question is, will the Acharyas such as Sanatana Rupa, Jiva, Goswami, as well as Bhakti Nautakur, Bhakti Sanatana Saraswati, and Sita Prabhupada make reappearance? Well, I have no idea um, because that is not something that any authoritative source that I know of talks about. And, I mean, Krishna appears in millions of universes, and since jiva souls do not expand into millions of forms, it seems that Krishna, when he comes as Krishna, or as Lord Chaitanya, he sends great souls to take part in his mission and pastimes. So to say the same souls will appear every time, or the next time Krishna appears in this world, uh, there's just, we have no reliable information, and there may not be a rule. Krishna may do it different ways in different at different times and places. Four, how is it possible that those asuras, simply by taking births as ferocious animals and thus killing sages, could avoid reactions to such sinful actions? It seems like a cheap trick to avoid a gross violation of dharma. I agree. It does seem like a cheap trick and probably didn't work. Um but they did that. I mean, it's, it's in the Shastra. They took birth as animals. Maybe they thought that Pashu Dharma or animal Dharma allows them to do that. But, of course, if they knew what they were doing, then they were not mentally animals. And so, yeah, it doesn't seem like a really great idea. Five, but they did it. Five, isn't it also a manipulation of dharma for the asuras to take birth in a family for which they were not qualified? That's an interesting point. Uh, yes, that's that's a very good point. And, um, but they have that power. They did have that power. So, um, but then again, karma is like, a bank account, you can cash it in. Just like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that some people do Vedic sacrifices, go up to the higher world, but then Shine Punye, when their dharmas exalt when their um when their punya, when their pious acts or good karma is exhausted, they fall back down. I always think of it as like someone, let's say, goes to Las Vegas or something and they have some money and they're staying in a nice hotel and gambling. When your money's used up, Basically, they throw you out of the hotel. So once you build up good karma, you can spend it wherever you want. So if you want to spend it to take birth in a an important royal family on earth, you can spend it that way. So six, the same way Arjun was put in a position of confusion so we could hear the Gita dialogue, was Bhishma also under a similar confusion? If those personalities were just playing a part in a pastime, does that mean that there was no previous good, bad karma involved? Yes, Bhishma, I mean, on the one hand, his decisions were so incorrect in some cases, and yet he's so often glorified as a great soul, a Mahajan, a pure devotee. It seems that he's just taking part in Krishna's pastime. Otherwise, how do you, I don't know how else to reconcile this consistent description of Bhishma as a great soul and his consistently making bad decisions. So, um, of course, he had his own justification, but ultimately Krishna didn't really agree with him. 
And even Arjuna criticizes Bhishma and Drona in the Gita. Hadvartha Kamangs to Guru Nihaiva and so on. Chapter 1. Is it possible that Bhishma supported the Asuras to give emphasis in the fact that it does not matter who is against the demons? If Krishna is on their side, nobody can defeat them. To make the story more dramatic. Well, that was definitely Krishna's intention in terms of, because Krishna ultimately uh, wrote this story or, or came up with this story. Everything that happened in Krishna Leela, it's Krishna himself that created this pastime. So that was definitely Krishna's idea to show that it um, doesn't matter who's with you. And that's, of course, that's Sanjaya's conclusion in the last verse of the Gita, where Sanjaya says, Yatra Yogeshwara Krishna, wherever there's Yogeshwara Krishna, Yatra Partha, Dhanurdara, wherever there's the great archer Pandava, Arjuna, there will be victory. And so if a, let's say, if an advanced devotee ever becomes sentimental and wants to help the wrong side, Krishna's also showing that you're not really going to help anyway. So yes, I think that is one of the lessons. P.S. I know this is a bit extra. You might not like it. Okay, let's see if I don't like it. But people, oh, sorry, that was not a question. That was, uh, as far as mentioning the names of the people that asked the questions, the, uh, the questions that I just answered were sent to me without names. So, I'd like to thank everyone that asked questions, but I was not sent the names. So now let me see if there are any questions on the live chat. Okay. Uh, well, we do have some questions. So, Stavita Bhakti Das Vanachari. Oh, he's just saying hello from Minnesota. Well, hello to you and hello to Minnesota. Let's see, any other questions? Uh, a lot of people saying hello. Hello to everyone. So, uh, Bhakti Vinod in Scotland, how to keep regulated during the lockdown if you are stuck in an apartment? Well, there's no law that you can't be regulated in an apartment. You can decide what time you want to get up and even invest in advanced technology like an alarm clock. And uh, so it's a question of willpower and self-control but you can be regulated in an apartment as well as anywhere else if you really are determined. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is from spatial astronomer, David Vinces. He wanted to know if the mind is a material element and therefore inert matter how can it speak to us? Um, that's an interesting question. The mind is a material element, as Krishna clearly explains in Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 7, Mano Buddhirevacha. However, it's not really the mind speaking to us. It's really we are speaking to ourselves through the mind. Uh, if we... The mind, it's just like, for example, let's say you go to a shopping mall. There's all these bright lights and they're advertising different things. I mean, those advertisements maybe where they have some beautiful woman talking like, hi, come on into the store. And it's just a, you know, it's just a, 
a digital display. So there's no person talking to you there. If you think of all the world of advertising, uh, I mean, ultimately there's a person behind the advertisement, but the advertisement itself is not a person. And so, uh, so we make decisions. Let's say someone is attracted to the opposite sex and the other person that is attracting, uh, dressed up nicely. And let's say it's not saying anything. It's just walking down the street dressed a certain way. So you see the clothes, you see the body. Technically, none of those things are alive. The clothes are dead. The body is, is living, but only because the soul's there. I mean, it's just dead matter. And yet we are attracted. Why? Because of our own misuse of our free will. So, um, so the mind is just an instrument that we program in a certain way. And when you program things in a certain way, they behave in certain ways. So ultimately, it's the soul that makes decisions. Should we read the original or revised editions of Srila Prabhupada's books? Why? I don't think it makes it. That's from 108. I guess someone had a very pious mother that named them 108. Just kidding. Anyway, um, it's a real simple thing. There's all this controversy and people battling over the books. It is so simple. Um, Prabhupada translated many books and did purports for them, and he did it through after, I mean, let's say for starting in 1967, perhaps, when he just couldn't type anymore because uh, of repetitive motion issues, I suppose. Uh, he used a dictaphone, and he had disciples who typed it out, and then, you know, it was produced as a book. So um, Prabhupada had editors, obviously. He had English editors. And uh, if you compare Prabhupada's original dictations to the, um, the edited final version that came out in books, a lot of times there's a lot of changes. A lot of times there's a lot of changes. Not when I... Not significant changes. The philosophy has never changed. No one ever infiltrated the Hare Krishna movement and became Prabhupada's editor and then, you know, kind of changed our philosophy. Nothing like that. We're just talking about style editing, English editing. There's very, very, very little, if anything, ultimately at stake philosophically. But just to give one example, there's a, a book in English called Life Comes From Life. And so what happened is that uh, one of Prabhupada's disciples, Hansa Duda, who was in Germany at the time, um, took all of Prabhupada's recordings of the Life Comes From Life material and had it translated into German. But when he did that, uh, he changed a lot of things. He tried to just, he just changed a lot of things. He thought it would be better for Germany somehow. Then the English BBT translated the German book back into English, but they translated the German book that Hans Dude had changed in many ways. And so otherwise, I mean, we, we do have Prabhupada's original teachings, but uh, so the BBT at a certain point, because in the English side, the English BBT, 
some of the books that Prabhupada did, some some of his editors, like Hayagriva, had taken out a lot of the things Prabhupada said. Not a lot, not like, you know, like half of it or most of it, but just, I mean, I saw this myself because I personally checked certain um, transcripts of what Prabhupada actually dictated against the edited version. And sometimes I agree, we'll just take out paragraphs. So at a certain point, the BBT, English BBT, wanted to restore all that text. And they also wanted to, um, but they also, they, they made a big mistake, actually, and they re-edited it. They re-edited it. And so why was that a mistake? Because Prabhupada's books that were published during his lifetime are a historical they're historical documents that while while Prabhupada was here on this in this world, he authorized and published through his representatives these books. And so that's just a historical fact. And then in the future, you can't change that because then then no matter what you say, they are just not the books that Prabhupada authorized, even if the philosophy is the same, and even if it's actually uh, contains, it's closer, these books are closer to what Prabhupada originally dictated. What the BBT should have done, what I told them to do about 20 years ago, which they very happily ignored, my advice, and then the people that are criticizing these edited books, I told them the same thing, and they very happily ignored this good advice. So it just goes to show, you know, how the extraordinary capacity a lot of people have to ignore good advice. So what I advise, and I'll still I'll advise you right now, if you ever become a BBT trustee, and that is that um, all you have to do, <laughs> really, all you have to do is just publish the original book as Prabhupada authorized it, but add appendixes, appendices. In other words, in the back of the book, you say that in the purport to, I don't know, 7-5, I'm just making that up, uh, Prabhupada originally dictated or, or you know, uh, composed this text, which was left out. So we're restoring here. Or you can either put it as footnotes, which means at the bottom of the page, beneath, like if there's just like a line or two, you can do a footnote. If it's a much longer uh, text, you could put it in the back as an appendix or as what's called an endnote. There are footnotes and endnotes and appendixes. So that way, you would have the original book, as Prabhupada did it, and then you would have all the additional material that was inappropriately taken out. As far as the editing, the original editing should be restored because that's what Prabhupada authorized. Not only that, the BBT argued, I think, that, well, we can edit better now, which certainly seems to be the case. However... Every generation practically has its own taste in editing. And so if you change Prabhupada's books because you want to re-edit them, then basically every 30 or 40 years, we're going to have a new version of Prabhupada's books, which is um, very impractical for obvious reasons. So that's all you got to do. Publish the original book, put in the uh, additional material that comes from Prabhupada, that we can prove it came from Prabhupada, but was left out, put it back in as footnotes, endnotes, or appendices. And for God's sake, what's the problem? 
But uh, as practical, and that's, by the way, what serious publishers do. But so I hope someday the BBT will see the wisdom of this. And I hope someday the people who are attacking the BBT will see the wisdom of this. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, Hare Krishna Bali. Thanks for listening. Um, let's see. From Donna Kriya Das does a service. Oh, does service uploading to the podcast? That's not a question. Uh, oh, above Bali, there was a question. Let's see. What do you think about Ravana? Well, I certainly wouldn't invite him home for lunch or anything, but you mean like the Asura Ravana? Uh, I think he was uh, not a great guy. I mean, as far as what he is originally and ultimately and eternally, perhaps he's just playing that part in, in, in Ram Leela, but in his role as Ravana, uh, yeah, not my... Not my favorite guy. Oh, there's another question before the Ravana Blind. How am I missing all this stuff? Okay, Jeevana Murphy. Hare Krishna Maharaj from a cold Dublin. Hare Bull. Well, greetings from a fairly warm Coronado, California. Why isn't Arjuna mentioned in the Guru Parampara in the Gita? Uh, Well, simply because he was not a teacher. Arjun did not accept disciples. The Prampara uh, consists not simply of people who heard the message, but who then became teachers, because the word Parampara means one after the other. It's actually what it means, like a succession. And so uh, it mentions teachers, people that heard it and then taught it. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, oh, glad 108 agrees and his dad too. Uh, let's see, any other questions? Okay, Joseph Tate. Have you ever considered the similarities between the Kalki avatar and the second coming of Christ as depicted in the New Testament? Actually, I never considered that. Do you think it is a holdover from Zoroastrian messianic stories which came from Vedanta, or do you think there's something more to it? Very interesting question. Um, I have not studied the descriptions of the New Testament of the second coming of Christ. So I, uh, you could send in more information. I could comment on it, but I, so I'm not really able at this time to comment on that. Uh, Christian, what, what I can say is Christianity in, in general was massively influenced by pagan culture. And, uh, I won't go into that whole story now, but it's, that's very well documented. And as far as Zoroastrian, what we can say is that I, I think even the Old Testament, I mean, scholars agree that the Old Testament, which for the first few centuries of Christianity was the only testament. The New Testament 
didn't really become like an official scripture in the New Testament until centuries after Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, there is a lot of influence of Babylonian, you could say Zoroastrian culture. Uh, yeah, there's all kind because the, the, the Jewish people who composed the Old Testament, especially the older parts of it, um, and even later parts, uh, they were living in a very cosmopolitan world. Uh, we have to keep in mind something people may not realize is that if you go back to Greco-Roman times, let's say about, um, oh, I mean, how far do you want to go back? Two and a half thousand years ago and then coming up into the time of Jesus or even going back earlier, actually. Uh, the world was extremely multicultural extremely multicultural. There was a very significant influence from Egypt, from Persia, from Babylonia, from India, actually, which is neighbors of all these cultures, uh, from India. And, and, and the influence went both ways. For example, the, after Alexander conquered just a, a part of uh, Northwest well, now it's called Pakistan. It was part of Bharat Varsha. And in Bactria and even in, in India, well, Pakistan proper, there were actually uh, Greek kingdoms. Because, and, and so, um, and the Greeks really, the evidence seems to be brought to South Asia, this extremely realistic, lifelike sculpture. And so if you look at some sculptures in India, even of deities, they're not lifelike. They're not anatomically realistic. And so there's a good chance that um, the Greeks really brought that to India. So the influence went both ways. There's, of course, uh, cultural influence and theological or philosophical influence. There's all kind, there are many aspects of human culture, and there was mutual influence. Although in this, and we know that uh, the Old Testament uh, shows a lot of influence from other ancient cultures. And, uh, and actually within the first, after, when Jesus, uh, after the crucifixion, when Jesus was no longer there, um, within a relatively short time, the Jesus movement, which had been practically exclusively a movement of Jews. All the apostles were Jewish. Jesus himself is in the New Testament addressed as rabbi. So it was a Jewish movement made up of Jews, including Jesus. And um, and then afterwards, within a few generations, it had become overwhelmingly a pagan movement. And so massive amounts of paganism came into the tradition. So, uh, sorry, I won't say more about this right now. But, uh, oh, there it is, Joseph. Book of Revelation with white horse and sword. Yeah, that is very interesting. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. That That's a whole academic area to try to trace these. I mean, you start with similarities, like you find something in one tradition, whether it's Zoroastrian or Vaishnav or again, Persian, because the ancient Persian spoke a dialect of Sanskrit, by the way. And uh, anyway, I won't go, that's a whole other topic, the uh, 
the fact that the first great Persian kingdom was uh, in its relationship to Vedic culture, and there's a very significant relationship, uh, Cyrus the Great. So, uh, but then you see the similarities, and you have to trace which way is the influence going, or did they just both come up with this stuff? Maybe, you know, a hero on a white horse was a popular image in many cultures. It's kind of cool. And so we find white horses in the book of Revelation, also with Kalki, either, I mean, clearly it didn't go from Christianity back to India. We know that. But um, it could just be independent ideas or influence going this way or that way. But that's a whole area. Um, let's see. Vedanga Jyotisha. Should we aim higher than Anartha Nivriti? Oh, from Jaidas. I hope we're aiming higher. I mean, our goal of life is love of Krishna. I mean, we have to pass through Anartha Nivriti. If you're, for example, if you're trying to go let's say from, uh, let's say you're going from uh, Paris to Berlin, you have to pass through other cities and, and, and I mean, you just, they're just on the way. And so in the same way, if you, if you, our goal is love of Krishna, but to get there, we have to pass through the different stages. So, of course, we should aim for Krishna Prema. We should not be presumptuous or uh, give ourselves credit for more than we've actually developed, but that is the goal. So, learning learning to love 111 from Canada. That's nice. Uh, it's nice we have someone from Canada. Uh so from, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Alexandra or Alexandra Vera, Alexandra Vera, because that spelled, word Alexandra spelled that way in various languages. So uh, what role do you think tradition has to play in Krishna consciousness? For example, the tea lock, not eating onion and garlic. Oh, if we have a chance, actually, if you all have a little patience, uh, a disciple of mine, uh, wrote me a very interesting letter giving all the arguments for not eating onion and garlic, so I thought we'd go through that. Uh, tradition, I think uh, tilak, tilak is, an, is a South Asian tradition, and many different groups wear many different kinds of tilak, so it's just something that you do. And uh, is it eternal? Do people in the spiritual world have tilak? You know, what about onion and garlic? Ultimately, we would need evidence. If someone claims that something is an eternal uh, rule, then we would need evidence for them. So uh, here's more about Ravana. Ravana, Ravana kidnapped Mother Sita, and the man who kidnaps a woman is a bad person. But on the other hand, Dasa, Dasan, oh, Dashanana. That means ten heads, Dashanana. Ravana was also a great devotee of Shiva. Yeah, but being a great devotee of Shiva does not mean being a great person. I mean, there are demons. Being a great devotee can just mean that you perform austerities and make lots of offerings. So great devotee here does not mean great person. How should we remember him as a bad human being or as a true Shiva devotee? Again, uh, being a bad human being and being a a Shiva devotee are not really, are not necessarily contradictory. 
it's not like being a devotee of Krishna where you have to follow, you know, have certain good qualities. I mean, the Shastras are full of examples of bad people who worshiped Lord Shiva. So, I, I mean, as far as who Ravana ultimately is, that's another issue. But in terms of his Leela persona, the person, the role he played in Ram Leela, yeah, he's very bad. Oh, he had some good qualities, but so do a lot of Asuras. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Skips. Oh, someone is uh, glad someone's having a good time watching this. Canon, this is from Boycott and Ban, the Communist Tyrant China Now. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of there are a lot of nice people in China, but the government is pretty awful. So, can an Abrahamic cult follower be a Sanatani Hindu? Um, Abrahamic means uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Uh, things are what they are. I mean, if someone really deeply understands, I'm not my body. I'm an eternal soul. And the purpose of life is to love God, who is a supreme person, et cetera, et cetera. And I should help all other people. If So if someone understands that, that's all Sanatana Dharma. So case-by-case case basis, we've got to see who the person is and what they're up to. Fiji water. By the way, I get paid to drink Fiji water during my classes. I'm just kidding. But I should, actually. I should, I should you know probably uh, you know get paid drink different brands of water so James Buckingham how long did Jesus Christ spend studying the Vedic scriptures in India uh that's very easy probably none at least not in that life that's based on the Aquarian gospel which turned out to be a um, a pseudo ancient text that was actually written not too long ago historically. So I would say he didn't spend any time in India studying the Vedic scriptures, although he might have in a previous life. So Saskia Simpson, from New Zealand, what is the, quote, mystical quality, unquote, of prasadam? Huh. The mystical quality of prasadam is explained in Bhagavad Gita 4.24, where Krishna says, Brahmarpanam, when you make an offering, arpanam, uh, when you make an offering to Brahma, to the Absolute, to Krishna, Brahma Havir, when you make an offering to the Absolute, the actual thing that you offer, which in Sanskrit is called Dravya, in this case, Krishna uses the word in the Gita 424, Havis, Havir, or Havis, which means ghee, which is sort of the typical offering. So Krishna is using the word Havir in this context just to stand for the Dravya, the actual physical thing that you offer. So Brahmarpanam, when you make an offering to the Absolute, then Havir, the actual physical thing you offer, whether it's milk and certain sacrifices or ghee or Havir or other things, uh, also takes on that same spiritual nature. Brahmarpanam, Brahma Havir, Brahmagnal. And the fire, the recipient of the offering, is also Absolute. Brahma Havir, Brahmagnal. In other words, it's offered into Brahmagni. The the Brahm the absolute fire and Brahmana Hutam and its Hutam it's offered by 
someone who also has become spiritualized or spiritual. And Tenaiva Brahma Gantavyam. And that very person, the person making the offering, will certainly achieve the absolute. Gantavyam means to be arrived at or to be achieved. So uh, because of Brahma Karma Samadina, by the Samadhi, Samadhina means by the Samadhi, Brahma Karma, spiritual work. So when Prabhupada would say, when you serve Krishna, everything becomes spiritual, that's Bhagavad Gita 424. And the, the reason this is possible is because everything is Krishna's energy. Everything does exist because of Krishna. Everything is Krishna's, it's an expansion of Krishna's own existence. And so when people or things are engaged in devotional service, they again manifest their original spiritual nature because they're Krishna's energy. Uh, we know that we benefit from spiritual activities when they are performed consciously and intentionally. So can one really make spiritual advancement from eating prasadam without knowing it is not just ordinary food? Uh, well, don't kill the messenger. But in verse 1728 of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, not so much. He says anything which is um, ashadadana, no, ashadhaya hutam. So anything which is offered, uh, hutam means offered, which is the same word Krishna uses in Gita 424 for offered. Anything which is offered, um, ashadhaya, without really believing in what you're doing, uh, Krishna says, has very little benefit in this life or the next. And that's, he says that's also true for all religious activities. So if the person has some background, it can awaken that background. Or if, for example, by taking prasadam, a person thinks highly of devotees or thinks they're nice people or forms friendship with devotees, then that can lead to direct uh, spiritual contacts and knowing knowing, and, and, and spiritual advancement, appreciating Krishna's devotees or non-different from Krishna, or reciprocating with them and offering to them. So, Claudia Monteagudo, uh, in Srimad Bhagavatam 10.24.6.7, what is the meaning of understanding, what is the meaning uh, of understanding what we are doing? Is it the transcendental meaning of our, okay, give me one second here. Actually, you have no choice because <laughs> all you can do is just leave, but I hope you don't do that. So 10.24.6.7. Oh, let me see. Uh, 10.24. See, what does it say? Oops. Okay. You actually have to write in 6 to 7. Okay, let's see. When people in this world perform activities, sometimes they understand what they are doing, and sometimes they don't. Those who know what they are doing achieve success in their work, whereas ignorant people do not. 
Great verse. Thank you for sending that in. That's a uh, absolutely relevant. So I'll, I'll read the Sanskrit for those who um, actually what I can do is I can. Okay. Let me just read the Sanskrit. Gyatwa, which means knowing or agyatwa, not knowing. Chakarmani, activities. Knowing or not knowing activities. Janoyang, a person, anutishtati, uh Okay, a person performs activities knowing or not knowing what they're doing. Vidusha karma siddhiksyat. Of the knower, there can be the the fruit or the, the perfection or the uh, success, the success of the action. That's the best way to translate it here. Karma siddhi. For the, for, the, uh, for the knower, there can be success in that activity. Yata, but... Uh, there cannot be, there will not be success, or there may not, or cannot be success for one who doesn't know what they're doing. So that's very good. That's spoken by um, that by Krishna, actually. It's spoken by Krishna when his, uh, that's 1024.6. Thank you very much. That's going to definitely go into my uh, quote book that I'm going to use. 1024.6, that's spoken by Krishna to his father when he's telling him, what the heck are you doing? Worshipping Indra. In the next verse, Krishna says, Tatra Tavat Kriya Yoga. Tatra Tavat, so that being the case. Kriya Yoga, this Kriya, this fruit of endeavor, Bhavatam of all of you. Uh, King Bicharita, uh, Atava Lokika. Is it something which you have learned, which you have studied or analyzed from scriptures or Lokika? Lokika comes from the word Loka. World, is it just worldly? Just some worldly custom. Tanme prichatak sadhu banyatan. Let that now be explained to me. Uh, let it be explained properly, clearly be, uh, to me who I'm asking this. So it's right there from Krishna himself. Knowing or not knowing, you don't get the same result. So, um, So, yes, because the whole point, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita 4.33, that shayan dravyamaya jagya, jnana jagya, the real point is knowledge. In, in, uh, there's so many verses in the Gita where Krishna explains that the goal of everything is knowledge. But, of course, the knowledge and devotion. I mean, obviously, if you just know something and don't become devoted to Krishna, you don't really know Krishna. Like that old song, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Great song by the teddy bears when I was a kid. Anyway, so you cannot know Krishna and not love him. If you don't love Krishna, you don't really understand him. So, um, yes, but as far as uh, the mystical quality of prasadam, um Everything has a mystical quality. There's nothing that doesn't have a mystical quality. Krishna says in the Gita, I'm everywhere. I'm within everything. Everything is within me. He says that actually more than once. So Krishna's everywhere. Everything is Krishna's mystic energy. Everything contains Krishna and, and everything is contained within Krishna. But if without any knowledge or faith, you could get all this benefit, then you could just walk around, just kick rocks down the road and become a pure devotee. So there are benefits from eating prasadam, but ultimately Krishna says you have to know what you're doing. You have to believe in what you're doing. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. So 
Um, let's see. Skip something. Trying to scroll here and it doesn't scroll neatly. Okay. Uh, oh, someone just sent the verses in. Uh, it's kind of technology doesn't exactly go in order. Okay. Don't you think the Arab and Greek and Roman pagans and Bharatiya Hindus or the Mexican and American indigenous pagans were all Hindu before the first Abrahamic cults aggression began? Uh, not necessarily. Um, the, uh, I mean, I want to blame it all on the Abrahamic cults. Um, as far as what people were in ancient times, they certainly, there was some shared knowledge around the world. But to call them Hindu, uh, first of all, the word Hindu is, is a modern term, but uh, there were many influences. There were certainly common universal elements, but also a lot of other things happening. Uh, someone saying, I want to read you to Prabhupada. As far as uh, I keep getting this message about uh, something named revolution, but it's not to get to it oh people are the, the questions come in in this live chat they don't come in order they kind of skip around so here's the question so I, I apologize for me skipping around but I'm just trying to get all the questions because I get to a certain point that I see that there were other questions that came in above that uh, so um is it true that practicing Krishna consciousness, I'm translating this from Spanish, without having a relation with a spiritual master that connects us to Krishna is like putting coins in a broken sack or bag and uh, or depositing money in the wrong account? Um, it depends. For example, if someone has faith in Prabhupada and they come to Krishna consciousness and they are so to speak, shopping around for a guru, and they just haven't yet found the right guru, then, um, I mean, people definitely make advancement. We see people in the real world having some connection with Prabhupada's movement and, and improving their lives in some way before they actually formally accept a guru. It depends on why someone doesn't have a guru. If someone doesn't have a guru, they just, like, I'm not going to accept a guru because... Someone just thinks like no one's qualified to teach me and no one's better than me and I'm not going to surrender to anyone. Bad attitude. And uh, probably that will definitely slow down your spiritual advancement. If someone doesn't, as Prabhupada puts it, doesn't resent the principle of Krishna consciousness, accepting a guru is still just looking, then it's different. Uh, it's like the speed of a train. Uh, the train is going faster in the wrong direction. Yeah, there's a lot of that nowadays. Yes, that's from uh, Deepesh Majumdar. So, um, someone wants to read Prabhupada's books. That's 108, but not doing it now because they feel they should be chanting. If I read the books, just I would say just do what you can. Wherever you can become attached to Krishna, grab on and do that. 
and that will lead you to everything else. So no, don't wait. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, um, okay. People, a lot of people kindly sent me in the Sanskrit and, and word for word in translation for that verse I was talking about. So thank you very much. But I have to scroll through all that because a lot of people sent it. Chat many helpful people. So from, uh, oh, my cousin, pal. Hey, pal, you rock too. So uh, Radha Kanta, uh, knowledge like devotional service uh, turns into genuine wisdom. Uh, yes. So uh, let's see. Looking for more questions here. Prabhuji have mentioned about establishing Christian Western Canada. Yeah, I'd love Canada's a great country. It'd be great to have Christian Western Canada. Uh, so uh, let's see. I think that's all the questions. Let's see. Rukmini question, but then I don't see the question. Uh, so Ananda Leela, who is frantically trying to keep me on track here and occasionally succeeding, maybe if you see a question I didn't answer, you can just send it to me on WhatsApp and that way I'll, I'll see it because uh, the way the questions come in, it's not just like all in order. So it's a little hard to keep up. So if you send a, something, uh, this looks like a question from uh, Piotr. Oh, is that uh, Perlumbahump? I don't know. Uh, Polish name. Uh, we had discussion with devotees recently about scientists. I threw in a passage where the CM said, oh, CC, in the sense of, Chaitanya Mangal, Srila Prabhupada writes, materialistic scientists puffed up by the magical changes their so-called inventions have made are unable to perceive God's true power beyond matter. Therefore, the jugglery of science gradually leads people to a godless civilization at the expense of the goal of human life. Yeah, that's definitely true in many cases. Not all, but in many cases. So, uh, revolution... Um, Oh, here's something for revolution. Okay, I just found it and Nandalia just sent it. Can you tell us a definition of Vedic culture looking from the inside out and how it manifests in the lives, examples of the great souls depicted in various Leelas, Puranas? Um, that's everything revolution. That's an interesting name. So, uh, what is Vedic culture? It's a, it's a Vedic, first of all, Varnashram. Varnashram is everywhere. In the Vedas, it's in the literally in the original Vedas. So Varnashram is all over the place. Varnashram is in the Bhagavad Gita. So it is 100% Vedic, Varnashram. And as we know in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that um, uh, by all the Vedas I'm to be known. So Krishna Bhakti, love of Krishna as the ultimate perfection of, of the Vedic system. Yeah, that's that's super Vedic or super Veda. Uh, as far as dressing a certain way, eating certain, you know, cooking with certain recipes, certain musical styles, architecture, et cetera, et cetera, all that external culture, not so much. Uh, 
It's really more, I mean, to put it very simply, Vedic culture, if we want to use that term, um, is uh, following Varnashram Dharma with the ultimate goal being pure love of Krishna. That's what it is. Oh, uh, oh, Billy. how should devotees work to, again, if you're asking a question, please put like, like at least five or six question marks. So I know you're asking a question. How should devotees work to participate in Varnashram Dharma as Kshatriyas? Well, it's, uh, it's a little difficult. Uh, for one thing, because Kshatriya is supposed to govern Ishwara Bhava. Uh, Kshatriya is not just a good fighter. It's someone that actually is intelligent and knows how to govern. So um, in this day and age, let's say you, you join the military. I'll use America as an example where uh, they have this very strong principle that uh, ultimately the military has to be under civilian rule. And so if you are in the military, you have some freedom to make decisions, but also to a great extent, you have to obey orders, sometimes from incredibly stupid, corrupt politicians, as we recently experienced. So being a kshatri and being really independent, like to govern and to fight for the truth, that's tough because of this principle of, of civilian control of the military. And if you want to become a civilian controller of the military, you have to win a political election. And we know what that means. So, um, so the best you can do, I would say, if someone's a Kshatriya, you know, sort of for now, rather than focusing on uh, fighting, although if you're good at that, that's can be a very useful service in certain situations. But focus on governing and, and 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 trying to lead other people, organizing things, organizing the Sankirtan movement in a very intelligent way. So Rukmini's question came in. I am a slow chanter. You're not the only one. It takes me three and a half hours to chant 16 rounds. Sometimes I feel is not it is not fair that. Someone chants 16 rounds in one hour and a half. If Krishna takes consideration of time, let's say instead of saying I chant 16 rounds, I make the vow of chanting daily two hours. I understand. I mean, it's it's perfectly understandable how you feel about this. Uh, Prabhupada did ask us to chant 16 rounds, so I'm not going to be the one to say, actually, you don't have to chant 16 rounds. I would just say do your best. You know, just do your best. Really try hard, do your best. And if you're doing your best, Krishna will give you his mercy. And, and if you can chant, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there are many slow chants. I'm glad. Hey, there's an old friend. The name coming in is Stella Hertz. Of course, I know her by a different name, but thanks for watching. Hare Krishna. Um, yeah, I don't want to say try to chant faster and then you lose the quality, but I would say chant as fast as you can without losing your spiritual focus. Question, uh, can say that culture somehow in the lives of percentages, like Queen Kunti, for example, like the examples that inspire us to, maybe I may have some autocorrect going on there, but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, great souls, that's why they're in the Bhagavatam, to inspire us. So many, we have a number of slow chanters here who are, you know, coming out of the closet here. So, yeah, it's uh, just do the best you can. Just do the absolute best you can. Love Krishna and you'll go back to God, I'm sure. So Gandhini wrote, Srila Prabhupada said that without freedom, uh, there is no execution of devotional service. What is our real freedom since we are forced by the modes of nature? Not, not totally forced. For example, the modes of nature didn't force me to try to give this little class and the modes of nature didn't force you to listen or to ask questions. So, uh, you know, animals, it's a little more difficult for them. But yeah, we do have freedom. I mean, we have, to some extent, we're conditioned, but also to some extent, we have a lot of freedom. So we just do the best we can. Okay, I think that's it. I was going to, um, oh, you're very welcome, Dr. Billy. So um, maybe another, oh, here's from, oh, is that Catherine? Kathy Maca Music. Is that who I think it is? How can one maintain themselves above the threefold miseries and be in Krishna consciousness while they are already affected by the mind? Because fortunately, this is the great news, everybody. Krishna not only stuck a mind on you, but also you have intelligence. And so it's kind of like battle of the faculties. And so we have to realize that we have booty. We have intelligence, God-given intelligence. And the mind is sometimes just clinically insane. So we have to strengthen our intelligence. For example, listening to this class or listening to other classes or you know, studying uh, transcendental books. We have to strengthen our intelligence and sort of vow or, or make up our minds that, yeah, my, my, I have a mind, you know, at least, you know, some of the time it's a little crazy, but my mind is not in charge. My mind is not in charge. I'm a soul and I have intelligence and therefore I'm going to rationally figure out what's right and I'm going to do that even my mind is screaming and yelling and, and trying to drag me to something else. So another one from Sam Resnick. If I'm fallen to a significant degree after many years of approach, I have reading and study, been stifled my attempts. Oh, that's not a question. So he appreciates his classes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, let's see. Uh, so what else? Uh, Krishna gives consciousness to the jiva or the jiva is forever and ever and always conscious. We are eternal. We have always existed and we have always existed as conscious beings. That's Krishna's arrangement. That was from, again, spatial astronomer. It's nice to know we have astronauts with us. <coughs> so my uh, senior disciple, Padmalochan, I have Christian friends. Does the Virgin Mary help them by chanting the rosary? Um, this is called what, what used to be called in ancient times, interpretatio greco, interpretatio romano. The idea that there are certain divine figures and in different cultures, people call them by different names. So there's really no historical evidence that Mary was a virgin. And there actually is some, some historical evidence. She wasn't. But never mind that. Uh, you know, God only knows about the about Mary. But 
there is a goddess. There are goddesses. There's Radharani. There's Lakshmi Devi. There are other powerful and uh, benevolent goddesses. And so when people, in a sense, when the pagans took over the Jesus movement and brought goddess worship into it in the form of Mary, um, something that no one really ever imagined uh, among the people that actually directly knew Jesus, but um, they are connecting to something which is true and real. There are goddesses. There are real goddesses. And so, in a sense, people in Israel and then in the expanding Christian world, basically in the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean, they were connecting to a very powerful truth that there are goddesses who can help you. And uh, they, through the lens of their paganized uh, Christian theology, they saw that as a Virgin Mary, but they were seeing something real. So... That's all I'll say. So, yes, for the record, a lot of people are going on record as slow chanters. Okay, uh, let's see. Yashoda Jeshodeva. Is piety relative to the status of an individual? Does a community leader suffer more for their indiscretions than would a person without status? If I am a leader and if my misbehavior, let's say, or my indiscretions, do you good word that you used, if it directly influences or causes people to do the wrong thing, then yeah, obviously. We're seeing that right now because the genius president we have in this country, um, you know, kind of incited people to go and attack the U.S. Capitol. Really good move. And, and the public is holding him responsible. I just saw a figure that practically 70%, that's a lot, 70% of Americans, according to polls, believe that he should be immediately removed from office. I mean, technically, the president didn't go and break windows in the Capitol, but he, anyway, won't go into all that now. So yes, if if as a community leader, let's say I do something wrong, but no one knows about it, I don't mislead anyone, then I just suffer what an ordinary person would suffer because I privately, personally did something wrong. If my wrong doing or indiscretion directly leads other people on the wrong path, then I am responsible. Yes, of course. Uh, so Saskia, uh, you're very welcome. Nice to see you there. Okay. Just one or two more and then we'll wind this up. How dangerous could it be to associate with some other devotees who offend senior devotees like you? I'd say it could be, it could pretty much destroy your spiritual life. And not me. I mean, I'm just whatever. Oh, you're English. It's not bad. That's Bhakta Renato. Renato, reborn. That's in Sanskrit. That's Duija. So, yes, if we, in other words, if we choose to associate with people who offend, you know, senior devotees, then we are, yeah, we're, we're going to have a hard fall. I think there's no question about that. <laughs> So, Leela Purusha, uh, I am your disciple, and for your grace, I have finished the Bhakti Shastri complete study. Can I send you a direct email? Uh, sure, go ahead. Thanks, thanks for taking the course. Uh, so, we're just about done. Uh, audio for your essays. Oh, regarding Krishna West synthesis. Oh, it's probably. 
According to the Bhagavad Gita, last one, according to the Bhagavad Gita, that soul is immortal. How will God punish people for sins when people are destroyed after death? According to the Bhagavad Gita, that soul is immortal. How will God punish people for sins? Uh, well, it's called karma, really. Is Krishna always conscious? The jiva is always conscious. But as Krishna is always conscious, the jiva is always conscious. Or starts, I, I answer that one. Yeah, we're eternally conscious, unless when we do really stupid things and sort of become unconscious. Obakre Natos from Itajai. Hare Krishna. Uh, last one. Why do some of the sages seem to get upset about petty things, such as Gargamuni cursing the Yadus because some boys were making jokes? Well, first of all, that was Krishna's plan. So Krishna, and second of all, uh, making fun of pure devotees, not a great idea. And the sage, he just took that as, how should I put it? A sign, because it's like, for example, let's say there's civil unrest. Like, for example, in the Capitol building, let's say they, let's say they have to bring in the army because there's some kind of riot going on. And the army puts down, because normally the army is not used for civilian issues, but the army puts down the problem, then the army has to leave. It's not like we now become a, like a military dictatorship. So when special force is brought in for an extraordinary, let's say, social problem or political problem, and, um, and special force is brought in force which normally would not be appropriate in a civilian situation, then once the problem is over, they have to leave. And so that's basically what happened. Because the Asuras invaded the world, Krishna sent very powerful souls into the Yadu dynasty and other places, and they got rid of the demons. But once they did that, Krishna's verse in the Bhagavatam, Krishna said, well, now these very Yadus who saved the earth, now they're the problem because they have extraordinary power. They're not actually humans. And so they had to leave. So Krishna, and since no one could defeat them, Krishna arranged for them to kind of exit each other. Okay, thank you all very much. It was a pleasure um, spending some time with you in this way. And uh, again, I mentioned the disciple of mine sent some very interesting points about onion and garlic, which I know keeps most of us up at night. And so um, perhaps we'll do another program because it is interesting because she, she raised some points that she gathered. She did the work of gathering different points from different places. And so it would be nice to address that so that she knows my answers and other people. So I will schedule that. But thank you very much. And I guess I will leave now. And I hope have a great day, have a great life in Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna.